have a Bible nearby, let's go to Mark chapter 10. Before I get into uh, things, let me bring something to your attention so that uh, we can be praying. Uh, Many of you know Dottie uh, Gendron, who has uh, become a part of our church in the last year. Um, Dottie, we first met Dottie Christmas before last, um, and she was, uh, you might remember she came up and told this story a while back, but she was living at the uh, Women and Children's Shelter when we did, the, the first time that we went to the shelter for Christmas, and we, um, we bought them all, uh, all the ladies their gift cards uh, to Walmart, um, and there was one for them, one for each of their kids, and we loaded them up, and we took them to Walmart so they could go uh, shopping or whatever, and uh, Dottie was one of the ladies there, and she told us... Um, she said, look, she said, when, I, when I get back on my feet and I get my own place, I'm coming to y'all's church. And, uh, you know, we heard that. We hear that a lot, you know. And uh, so I, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I hope so. And I really sincerely hope so. But there's that part of me that kind of doubted or whatever. And uh, so like a year later, like she walks in. She's like, hey. I was like, hi. She's like, you don't remember me, do you? I said, uh, which is awesome when people say that. And uh that and like, you don't remember my name, do you? I love it when people do that. And so she was like, uh, she didn't do that. She was like, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, uh, she said, remember at the, at the women's shelter when I told you I was coming to church when I got on my own? Well, I'm here, just like I said. And I was like, all right. I was like, I really didn't think that you would come. And she said, well, you're wrong. And here I am. And uh, ever since then, she's, uh, she's been here. Uh, she has a daughter named uh, Rosemarie who lives in San Antonio. So every other weekend, she drives to Beaumont. And uh, she drives halfway, picks her up, brings her here for the weekend, goes back. And it's been a lot of fun uh, just to get to know Dottie and stuff like that. Dottie had uh, surgery beginning of this past week. And uh, there's been some complications with things. And uh, I want to say that for the third time today they went in. And uh, there's been some infection is kind of what it sounds like. I'm not 100% sure of that. Um, But it was supposed to be a couple of days there. And it's just kind of turned into longer. And so uh, we're going to do our our best to... uh, like stay updated on things, and if you want to know um, kind of what's going on, uh, she is in uh, Brandon and Kate and Matt and Amy's community group, and so you can check in with them or check in with me and Meg if you just want to know how to pray, but um, uh, obviously if they're going in for a third surgery when they thought it was just going to be one, you know, they're trying to take care of some problems or whatever, and so um, let me just pray for Dottie and kind of get us rolling here, and especially in light of what we just sang about, uh, kind of puts things in good perspective. Uh, Let's pray together. Um, God, we thank you so much um, that we can just come to you and tell you just like it is. And so uh, we love Dottie and we um, are grateful for the way you brought her into our church and the way she's become a part of this community. And um, she's obviously, uh, you know, there's some health issues there and you're the only one who knows what's going on. And um, we thank you that you give us doctors and nurses and people that you have, have trained and gifted uh, in the different ways to take care of us when we're sick. And so, God, I just pray that you would give them all the wisdom um, just to, to be able to diagnose the problem, that you would work through them, 
And God, at the same time that you just miraculously just heal, uh, whether it's infection or whether it's something else, um, you are the healer. And um, you are sovereign over all. And you tell us to ask you for things. And so um, our desire is that you would heal her right now, literally. Um, that the next time the doctor comes in, there would just be no problem and he would be baffled. Because we know Dottie and she would tell him exactly what happened. And, uh, but God, however you want to glorify yourself, um, we just submit to your plan being worked out. Um, help us to be faithful to pray. I, I just pray, ask God that you would, would keep Dottie on our minds and on our hearts. Um, because as busy as life gets, sometimes we just kind of just forget things. I pray you wouldn't let us forget um, that we would do all that we can to care for her during this time. And uh, also for Rosemary and for Roy, uh, just that they would um, not worry too much, that they would trust in your sovereign care over her life as well. Uh, we love you, Father. Uh, teach us now as we get into the scriptures. Uh, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, I had you go to Mark chapter 10. And uh, I want to s- start, uh, this summer is going to be a little bit different for us uh, in some ways. Um, I looked back over the last couple of summers, it seems like in the summer, God always has us talking about uh, the church in some kind of way here on Sunday nights. Uh, last summer, we talked a lot about spiritual gifts and just spent some time sinking in there. Uh, the summer before that was when we moved here, and so we spent a lot of time of God just kind of showing us some things that we needed to do for our own church internally to prepare for a physical move from Parkview over to here. Uh, the summer before that, we went slowly through our church covenant, you know, so it kind of seems like that's kind of where God brings us around. And um, so I, I'm going to teach a couple weeks, and then uh, we're going to rotate uh, different elders up here to teach. And so each of them will teach over the summer, and I'll kind of teach in between. And um, it will not be a steady series. Uh, they're going to be turned loose, so there's no telling what uh, will be coming there your way from them. Um, so they won't be part of this series, but I kind of have an idea of where I think I'm going to go. And definitely these next three weeks, uh, I want to talk about, um, as far as like our church here, some things that that I hope and desire and, and I see being formed um, just in kind of just the natural ethos of of our community and what we do as a church. Um, anytime you talk about ethos, it's going to come down to uh, kind of the, the character and the, um, the tendencies, just the natural um, way that uh, a group of people or a person or a, a culture kind of just operates. Just kind of a natural deal. Um, not necessarily something where you have to, like, dig in and try, but it's just kind of like kind of a part of the way it is. These are some things that I, I hope um, if someone were to move here from somewhere else and they show up and they're around our church for a little while, um, some, some qualities that I think, uh, I, want, I hope that Christ continues to form in us to where it's just a natural thing, that we're not having to try uh, real hard uh, to do that. And so just as a part of this natural ethos that when people are like, um, when I think about the ring, these are the things that kind of come to mind. Um, I'm not talking about other churches. Some of what I will say will be different than what other churches do, um, but that is not a judgment on them. This is an expression of uh, one of the pastors of this church and, and what I believe uh, God has put in my heart to see just naturally formed in us. Uh, the things I'm going to talk about, I'm not saying that they aren't there now, but I'm also not saying that they are perfectly there now. 
I think this is a part of our formation and kind of where, where we're headed. Um, so let's look, uh, let's look in Mark chapter 10. I'm falling apart up here. Um, let me turn to it. That would probably help. Here's this, uh, this fairly well-known uh, story. Um, Jesus and the disciples are kind of they're just walking along. And, uh, of course, they're, uh, they get into this discussion. Like all uh, groups of young men uh, are super competitive. And, uh, I mean, come watch softball game in church league and you'll see all good Christian young men love to compete with each other. And uh, whatever. It doesn't mean it's not fun, uh, but there is this, you know, something about, you get a bunch of guys together, and eventually something's going to turn into a competition. So they're walking along, and um, James and John kind of uh, trying to get Jesus, kind of corner him in. They're like, uh, hey, we want to, uh, whatever we ask of you, we want you to do it for us. You know, like a little kid that's like, hey, if I ask you a question, you promise to say yes? Uh, and you're like, uh, no. <laughs> Just like that. And Jesus kind of did the same thing. No, but what do you want? And so they were like, uh, whenever you get, you know, you achieve what you're here to achieve um, and you are the boss of everything, can, I, can one of us be on, at your right hand, one of us be at your left hand? So they're trying to edge out the other ten as far as, like, who's going to be, you know, assistant and assistant to the assistant uh, to Jesus. And um, so then the other ten kind of get miffed at them or whatever. And so there's just, just this debate about, you know, whatever. And they're kind of jockeying for position or whatever. And um, look at verse 42. And Jesus just has a way of putting them in their, in their place, and he did that. You can go back and read the account. Um, this, is, this is how Jesus wraps up this little exchange. It says, And Jesus called to them, this is verse 42, Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever, you, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the things that I, I hope is a part of the natural ethos of this church is that we serve, that we serve our Lord, that we serve one another, that we serve everybody who comes along, that... Um, having a servant's heart and acting in such a way that we just naturally serve people is something that is, in fact, truly a natural part of how we exist. Um, that it doesn't take, you know, a, a pep rally or a big sermon or a big, you know, whatever to get us to love our neighbors. That, um, that it, would, it would just be second nature to us. That when you see a need, you respond to meet that need. That you push past whatever it is that holds us back from just kind of naturally being like, oh, this person needs some help. Whether it's, hey, they need help, you know, picking this stuff up, or hey, they need help cutting their yard, or hey, they need help with this project at work, or hey, they need help getting through this crisis. I mean, whatever, whatever it is, that it would just be a natural response of ours to serve people. Um, when you look at the... At the the text, there's this troubling word uh, that is, you know, bothers all of us, especially when Jesus says, whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. Um, if, 
if you look at the, that Greek word, I had to write this down because I'm not a Greek scholar. Shocking. Um, uh, the word there for slave is also translated servant. It's also translated bondservant. We don't really know what a bondservant is. And so when they're translating from, from Greek and Aramaic into English, I mean, sometimes they're like, okay, we have to contextualize this so that people can understand what it is. Um, and this is a very, it's a very strong word, but here's, here's what lies beneath the meaning of that word, slave or bondservant or servant. It's one who gives himself up to another's will. One who gives himself up to the will of another. Now, usually when we see slave, we, we think like this forced uh, servanthood that is there. We, we think the way that uh, most Americans growing up in America, when you hear slave, that's what you think. In the biblical days, there were, um, it, there were eight, ten different ways that someone could, could become a slave. Sometimes it was uh, when one group would conquer another group, they would take all the people and they would force them to be slaves. I mean, it was a lot of what, what we tend to think of. Uh, sometimes it was how you paid off a debt. If you owed someone money, then you would go to work for them on their land or whatever until that debt was paid off. Um, sometimes it was, uh, it was through, I mean, there's just all kinds of ways. But one of the ways that was interesting to me is that you could willingly put yourself at someone else's service. So they didn't force you, and you don't owe them a, a kind of debt, but you would just willingly say, hey, I'd like to... Uh, I like to become your servant. And maybe it's because you have, you know, a wife and kids, and you don't, you're not able to make any money, and so that's what you do. Uh, is that's your way of going to work? Is you go to someone and you say, "Hey, I want to be a part of, of you know, your household, wherever it takes care of the land or the house or the different trades or whatever." But it's it's this willing submission to whatever someone else wants for whatever your reason is. You're saying, "Okay, whatever your will is, I'm going to uh, willingly put myself in submission to that." So when Jesus says whoever's going to be great is actually going to end up being a bondservant to all, he's really saying you're going to willingly put yourself in submission to the will of another person. Or, you know, to the will of God. Another part of the definition is kind of similar. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. When you devote yourself to someone else, and you completely disregard your, your own interests, your own comfort, your own time schedule, your own, uh, you know, whatever. You disregard all that stuff and you say, whatever your interests are, whatever agenda you have, whatever you need to be done, that's what I'm going to engage myself in. And to put it biblically, one writer put this, those whose service is used by Christ in extending, I can't read my own writing. Oh, extending and advancing his cause among men. To be a bondservant to all is someone who places themselves under Christ's submission to be a part of what he is trying to accomplish here on the earth. So when we see being a slave to all, there's something about us, especially as Americans, it's like, I don't like that. You read the Greek word and you're like, okay, bondservant, I get that. I understand the need for that. And then Jesus himself in the next, next verse, verse 45 for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus fits the definition of a bondservant. I mean, let's think about it in context of Jesus. One who gives himself up to another's will. 
Jesus submits to the will of the Father, gives himself up to that. It's not, not my will, but your will. That's him being a bondservant to the Father, devoted to another to the disregard of one's own, one's own interests. Jesus is being tempted in the desert, and Satan's trying, you know, telling him, you know, do this, or what about this, or what about this? And the whole time he's like, no, 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 it's not about that. I'm not going to give in to these things that appeal to my flesh. Uh, I'm, I'm about something bigger than this. It's about something bigger than me. He's devoted to the interests of the, of the Father, also to the interests of humanity, and disregarding his own interests and his own comforts and his own everything. That God has this plan for humanity. And Jesus said, I willingly submit to the plan of the Father. And regardless of how much it, uh, regardless of, of how weird it is to think about him leaving heaven and coming here to this place, and living this life and going 30 years before he's able to tell anybody who he is. And he goes around and he has this 12, and one of the 12, he knows he's going to betray him, but yet he washes his feet as well as the other 11. And he's rejected in his hometown and he's mocked, but at the same time he's, uh, he's adored and followed, and, and he lives this whole life as God, as a human. And then he's betrayed and he goes to the cross and he dies this terrible death. I mean, all these things he put up with all that because he was a bondservant. So here's Jesus and these 12, and they're like, who's, who's going to be your number one guy, and who's going to be your number two guy? And the other two are like, no, no, this and this and this. And he's like, hey, guess what? I'm all of you guys, bondservants. You want to be great? You start serving everybody. Because it says bondservant to all. Not bondservant to the cool kids, not bondservant to people that you like or that you're buddies with, not bondservant to people who can somehow hook you up in return. It's bondservant to everyone. Talk about a shutdown. And then he says, I'm God. (laughs) And even I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my very life as a ransom. That's strong, strong, strong. And when you think about it, Jesus' entire life was, his whole life was one big act of service. From him leaving heaven uh, to, like, I think about every miracle. He, not, he wasn't just doing miracles to, to show off God's glory and power. I mean, that was like, yeah, but also he was like, this guy is blind. He needs to be able to see. This guy is, was born crippled. He needs to be able to walk. This water needs to be turned into wine. There are 5,000 people here listening to us teach, and we need to feed them. A little while later, there's 4,000 people here, and we need to feed them. So, so there are these practical needs being met. And so he was serving their practical needs, but there was something bigger that was going on too. And that's, that's the key. I, th- I think that is is where like my desire, both as a person and as a, a pastor of this church, as a part of the community and as one of the leaders of the community, that I want to see God continue to shape in us is not, not just serving to serve. You know, not just feeding the 5,000 because there was a practical need that needed to be met. 
There's something more. You take Jesus' life, it was one, I mean, everything he did was one big act of service, but it was rooted in something that was bigger. Turn over to Philippians 2. Um, another, another familiar passage. In Philippians 2, like, we see exactly what is going on. Like, we see where this service is rooted. Um, it will eternally bother me if, if I serve people just because I'm supposed to or because I'm a pastor or because it's the right thing to do and, you know, blah, blah, blah. If, if social justice doesn't have, is not rooted in something bigger, if it's not tied to, um, it's not tied to something that's deeper, then it loses its impact. And the church doing that is really no different than any nonprofit organization out there doing that, meeting practical needs. There needs to be something bigger going on. In, the, uh, in this hymn, in Philippians 2, look at verse 5. You've probably heard this before, but think about it, listening for the big picture, and Jesus as a servant. Start in verse 5, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Okay, that word servant is the same one from Mark 10 in Greek. Same word, bondservant, slave, taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, just the, na- just the mentioning of his name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the, the chief end of every bit of Jesus' servanthood. The glory of God the Father. The plan of the Father, this perfect plan being worked out. That was the reason why he served. That's why he left heaven. That's why he lived a sinless life. That's why he did all the miracles. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he washed the disciples' feet. That's why he turned water into wine and fed the 5,000. That's why he healed the blind and the sick and the lame. And that's why he, like we talked about last week, went across over into the Decapolis and, and talked to the demon-possessed man and cast the demon into pigs and went back later. And I mean, he, that's why he did all that stuff. His acts of service were rooted in something bigger than him. It was about the glory of God. And to me, that's, that's where we can't miss it. I'm not saying we're missing it. I'm just re, um, restating the fact that we cannot have one without the other. We can't have social justice without the gospel being a part of that. So yes, we do Advent Conspiracy, we raise this money, we send money, and they dig wells. And I got an email at um, some point recently, and I just keep meaning to like build it into a Sunday night, but they sent pictures of our well. They, they like before, people were drinking out of this, and now, like, here's the well that your money went to build. And I got this email, and I was like, Wow. But the reason we go through Living Water International is because they have people there 
on the ground, connecting relationally with the people who live there. And as they dig this well and build this deal, whatever, and they're there and they're connecting with pastors and whatever, and they're making sure that people know, look, this is not just money that comes from America somewhere so that you guys can have water. It's, it's about more than that. You take the practical need for water, but you combine it with the fact that you are important to God. And Jesus came to this earth because you were designed to have a relationship with him. And something was blocking that, and he took care of that. And you need to know that. Their foot in the door is clean water, but they go there because the glory of God is lived out in true service as we're bondservants to all. That's why we go through Living Water International and not some random clean water pump nonprofit company that we found on Google. That's why we do that. That's why we go through World Vision. We have a, a group of people in our church that, that goes to the different shelters in town. Twice a month they do a breakfast downtown on a Sunday morning. Um, if you are a part of that group, um, you need to make sure that you understand why we do what we do with that stuff. It is not to help us feel better. It is not because we're supposed to. It's about the glory of God. Yes, we have an agenda. Yes. Yes, we have an agenda. No, those people are not projects. One does not discount the other. These people are important to God, and so what we do is just like living water. We're like, hey, what is a way that we can get our foot in the door to begin to get to know them, talk to them, learn their names, consistently go and serve them, and through our service, can God teach them something about who they are and who he is? Now, can't have social justice without the gospel. That's why we go and we do that. But there's another thing, I think, that tends to exist um, in church in America, especially in the South. One is an, an, an incomplete service. Serving just to serve um, it, because it's what you're supposed to do and all this kind of stuff. Serving without the gospel being a part of it. The second thing is something that I have uh, observed, been a part of, noticed it in my own life, and uh, especially the last however many years I've been doing this, um, and uh, I have a dog, and uh, her name is Gilly, and she's awesome. Um, and one of the things that people tend to like about Gilly is that she makes you feel good about yourself. She does. Because you walk up to this dog, and you don't know this dog, and she makes you feel like you're the most important person on the face of the earth because she wants to lick your eyeball or your nose, or your mouth, or your ear. She wants to be in this general region as soon as possible. And for some reason, when it's a dog, and it's a, the kind of dog that'll smile, you know, some dogs don't smile, but other dogs kind of have a smile. When it's a dog that smiles, it has a tail that wags, and they're trying to get as close to their face as you can, you are like, this dog loves me. I am awesome. And you can be a total stranger, or you can be her owner, and that's how she is with everybody. And I hate to break it to you, but if you ever run into her, um, she's going to do that to you. And just so you know, she does it to everybody. Not to hurt your feelings. 
But here's something that I figured out about this dog. At first, it seems like she's all about you. But then you recognize something, that she is really all about herself. And I've deemed this something I, I call the gilly complex. And that is this. is She is going to do whatever, like she's going to try to get up in your face and love on you and all that kind of stuff, not because of how it's going to make you feel, but because of how it makes her feel. Like she, she likes that. She likes to dominate you and get to where she's going to lick you in the ear. But it's not because you're awesome. It's because she likes that. And this is how I know that. Because if she doesn't feel like it, she's not going to do it. If she wants to lay on the floor, I can call her name and I can whatever, and she's going to look the other way and pretend like she does not hear me. If I want her to come play with me and jump up in my lap and all that kind of stuff, she's not going to do that unless she wants to do that. And that's how I know that she doesn't think I'm awesome. Now, I call it the gilly complex because there are plenty of people who love to serve, but it has very little to do with the social justice plus gospel glory of God showing people value. It has very little to do with that and has everything to do with how it makes them feel to go and to serve. It eases the conscience, you know. It um, makes you feel like, like you're a part of the church. It kind of, you know, like you're, you're doing something. You're not just sitting at home. It, it's, it's, oh, yeah, now there's like my feet have legs now. You know, I'm going. I'm, I'm doing like we're supposed to. But it's motivated by how it makes you feel. And that's the Gilly Complex. That is, um, that is a self-centered, false humility kind of service. It's like, hey, the latest thing is going to breakfast on the levee. So you go and you just talk to people from the ring. And you don't talk to anybody that's there. It's a part of the homeless community that's come. You don't get to know their names. You don't talk to them. You try to kind of busy yourself and whatever because you don't want to, whatever. And then like, whenever it's time to go and everybody goes and you go walk away, you're like, yes. I lived out my faith today. And the reality is, no, you didn't. You're, you're closer than you were if you just stayed at home. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go and be a part of this ministry. I'm just an example. Um, you, you did better than if you'd stayed at home. Maybe. Maybe you didn't. Because maybe you just tricked yourself into thinking that, uh, that that was something, you just experienced something that you didn't really experience. And see, we, we just, we can't miss that. Um, we have to see service for what it is, and what it is is a picture of the gospel. So, whether it's Living Water International, or it's Breakfast on the Levee, or it's one of the countless other examples I could give, when someone submits to the will of another person, the desire of the other person, the need of another person. That is a picture of Jesus submitting to the will of the Father and coming to the earth and living and dying, raising from the dead, being with the Father now, sending the Spirit. I know that sounds probably weird. You're like, wait a minute, okay, so you're telling me that uh, on a Sunday night 
and every you know we're kind of cleaning things up or whatever and there's a girl that's trying to drive a 600 pound tub across the room and I go over there and I help her you're telling me that that God uses me going to help that person uh, to teach them something about the gospel about the cross you're telling me that that is a picture of what Jesus did on the cross and my answer would be are you saying that he can't you know, are you doubting the fact that God can use that somehow? Are you doubting what happens with breakfast on the levee? Or are you doubting what happens when you pray for someone, when you serve someone, when you cut somebody's grass, when you bake a casserole, when, they're, when someone just had surgery or is going through a loss? I mean, are, you, are you telling me that God can't take the simplest acts of service and teach really, really deep and powerful things from it? Because if you're saying he can't do that, then we probably need to have a whole other conversation after this one's over with. But I think that all of us recognize the fact that, yes, he can do that. We just don't really see it that way. We don't tend to see simple acts of service or big acts of service or any kind of act of service for what it really is. We, we tend to just kind of miss it. And a natural part of the ethos of this community needs to continue to become seeing it for what it is. Because when we see it for what it is, there's just nothing that's going to stand in our way. It doesn't matter what our schedule is or if, we're, you know, if we have something else to do or if we think it might be weird or whatever. Those things will not hold us back because that picture, there's no more important picture that you'll ever see than, than pictures of the gospel. I talk about that with, at, at weddings and with husbands and wives and how that's a picture of the gospel. So you need to pursue everything that it takes for that picture to be as crystal clear as it can be. It's the same way with serving. We've got to pursue whatever it takes so that that is giving out the most complete and pure picture of what the gospel is. So does that mean that we have to witness every time? Like, I'm going to help you carry this tub because Jesus left heaven to come to earth. And you have to explain it as you help him take it over there? I, maybe. I mean, if that's your style, roll with it. But I, I think, that, I think that, that you just never know what God's going to use. Maybe in your workplace, it's simple, consistent service and selflessness. So uh, let me just give you a th- look at two more verses um, because I'm all about, okay, I need, some, I need something with some teeth on it that I can actually, like, do. John Ortberg wrote a book, one of, the, one of those books that just kind of, like, changes everything that you ever think about um, that I read years ago. It's, it's called The Life You've Always Wanted. And um, he was not the, the first to present this. It just happened to be the first one that I read. I read another book recently that reminded me of that. Um, he talks about the difference between training and trying. He says, the reason why most of us struggle and just really wrestle in the Christian life is because we're, we're, we try to make these changes or have things be different in our lives. We, we try really hard. But the problem with trying is a lot of times when you try, you fail, and then when you fail enough times, you're like, why do I even bother? Why would I try to do this anymore? It doesn't make sense. And so he describes uh, the Christian life as not a, us trying, but it's, it's about us training properly. That athletes train so that the things they need to do in their sport are natural, and so that they do them effectively, and so they train. They run, they lift weights, they, you know, if it's baseball, they, they, do, they work on all the fundamentals. And in basketball, they're working on the fundamentals. And they do all these things so that come game time, it's just a natural motion. That throwing a ball, you know, or swinging a bat, that it is a natural thing. It's not, 
completely awkward and whatever. And so for us, it's the same thing. If we want, if we want as a community or you want as an individual to, um, to have, like to be described as being servant-hearted, and you know those people, you know the people in our church, and we're like, when you think about this person, this, this guy, this girl, and you're like, that person has a servant's heart like I've never seen. Well, that's not limited to their spiritual gifting. That's not just a personality thing in the sense that that's not something that you can ever attain if that's not how you are. And maybe God wired them up that way to where it's more natural, but shaping that in us is a part of forming Christ in us, which is what we talk about all the time. It's a part of it. And Jesus says, I'm the ultimate bond servant, and you need to be like me, then it's completely shapeable in us. So what we have to do is we have to train ourselves. And training when it comes to service is going to involve serving. Weird. It's going to involve actually serving people. And so what we have to do, it's just like any sort of, I mean, you take any sort of diet, you have to get to a point where you're like, okay, whatever it takes, this is the Monday. <laughs> this is it. And you begin to train yourself. If you want to be a servant, you train yourself. Look, at, look back at, at verse 3 of Philippians 2. It says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You take those two verses. That's practical application for this. You start asking God to change how you see people and how you respond to their needs. How you see them, how you respond to their needs. Verse 3. Count others more significant than yourself, how you see them. Verse 4, look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others, how you respond to those needs. So if, if we as a community, if we dig into that, and we're like, okay, I'm going to train myself. I'm going into training and in how to be a servant. And it involves those things. And you're praying that, and you wake up tomorrow, and you ask God to make that come alive in you. And you go to work. And you begin to see people differently. Not you're better than them, not their demographic or their whatever. You just begin to see them as valuable. And then you respond to their needs. So you're not only walking through your day looking out for your own interests. I mean, you need to pay attention to your life, yes. But when other needs pop up, you respond. Why? Because they're valuable. See, they're connected. So if you, you take, take just what happens, just with, within the church body, okay? Um, we set things up. We tear things down on Sunday night. We have set up teams who come, and they serve, and they voluntarily get things where they need to go, and then afterwards they pick them all back up. Just because you're not on a set up team doesn't mean that those people don't need help or want help or could use help. So that's pretty easy. When we do church events, we do a day in the park or we do, you know, whatever. Next week we're having a, a, a dinner, a fundraiser dinner after, after the service for kids going to camp. 
we need to set up for that. We need to clean up for that. I mean, there are things to be done there. There's all kinds of stuff like that. There's people in your community group who need to be served through prayer and through encouragement, edification. Maybe they don't need you to cut their grass. Maybe they just need to, to know that you care about them and that you love them and you remember their name. and You remember that really huge prayer request they mentioned on Tuesday and everybody got kind of awkward and then the group like left. But you were paying attention. They needed to know that, you know. There's all kinds of examples within the life of, of the church about serving each other. And there's all kinds of stuff outside. All that's going to begin whenever we see each other differently and we respond to the needs that we see whenever they're there. It's really not hard. Sometimes it might seem a little awkward or whatever, but it's really it's the gospel. I mean, it's, it's, it's who we are. It's Christ in us. Now, certainly when we see needs sometimes, I mean, where we hesitate for whatever reason, there's stuff in the way. And, but if we're praying to see people differently and respond differently, and then we put legs to that and we step out there and we do that, and we're asking God, God, bring the, bring the practical need, social justice side of me together with the gospel and help my motives stay pure that it's not a gilly complex moment for me and you're, all this stuff is going on. What's happening is we're, you're training and so... Helping somebody drag the tub across the room and helping a coworker because they, you know, spilled their papers everywhere or whatever. And then you're doing this and you go home and you're, you're serving your wife, you're serving your kids, you're, um, you're serving your neighbors. You begin to just do these little things. It's little things, it's little things, it's little things. And what happens is, the next thing you know, it just becomes a natural response for you to help somebody. And you don't have to go through that checklist of, well, I would... I would cut my neighbor's grass, but this and this and this and this and this. And you're just like, hey, that grass is getting tall. <laughs> hey, this person needs to be loved on somehow. We said last week, ministry has legs. And it serves and it gives, but it's because it's a picture of the gospel. It's the most important picture that we can put in front of people. So whether it's service or through your marriage or through all these other things that we talk about, we need to be pushing so that the picture is accurate. And I hope that that is a defining quality of this church. It's a natural part of the ethos of this community that we serve each other, whatever that looks like. Emotional serving, spiritual serving, practical, just physical need serving, whatever goes on. You, you read about the New Testament church, and there just weren't, there weren't needy people among them is what it says. If they had to sell something of their own to be able to buy whatever the person needed, I mean, they were, we're going to meet the needs that are there. So I don't know how this fits into your life, and that's between you and the Lord. But um, as we usually do, we're going to close out. We're going to sing. Um, we're going to sing our prayers that are centered around this idea. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll sing the prayer, and we'll pray some more. Um, Father, uh, we know that you're um, that you've begun that you've begun something in all of our lives, and here at this church, you've pulled a group of lives together, all of which you have you've begun the same thing in all of our hearts. You've just begun this formation of your very image. You took care of what separated us, and now 
You're just forming Christ in us and forming Christ in us and forming Christ in us. And our desire, Father, is to be a bondservant to all. Um, to not look out for our own interests, but for the interests of other people. And more important than that, to look out for your interests and what you've called us to. I pray, God, that you would help us not to try to do this, but to begin to train as this continues to just become a more natural part of how we function within this church community to one another, but also to those that we encounter as we go through life. Only you can form that in us. But we can put forth the effort. The outcome is yours, but the effort is ours. I pray, Father, that you would just connect the dots for us as individuals and also as a group, whatever this has to do with us, to push us forward so that the picture of the gospel we live out in daily life is as crystal clear as it could possibly be. We love you, Father, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.